It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, whatever you like. Or if you don't like any of those services, or if you just don't like scrolling through your phone to find your favorite podcasts, you can just ask your smart device, play podcast Locked On Vikings. That works with Siri, it works with Amazon Alexa, it works with any equivalent device. And if you uh, haven't noticed, you may pick up that my voice is a little bit down because the Vikings dropped a Monday night game 30-37 to in Seattle at Century Link Field. There was a lot going on in this game. It was kind of a wild one. So we have a lot to talk about. Now, similar to the Chiefs game, if you were listening then, uh, you know, I, we kind of went through an exercise where we said, okay, here's all the different things that could have uh, swayed this game the other way. And of course, that one ended on a last second field goal. So pretty much you fix anything in that game and it turns a loss into a win. A little bit harder with this one had some pretty dramatic moments that were poor for the Vikings. And, and if you undo, you'd have to undo quite a bit of stuff to actually get the Vikings to win this one convincingly. But hey, you know, fix the coverage bust, fix uh, the interception or any of those things, you know, get digs to stop dropping them. There's a lot of things that you can do to kind of pull this one back from the depths. But before we focus on all of that stuff, real quick, I think we all just need a moment to collectively stop, slow down, breathe. You're listening to this the next morning. Hopefully you got a good night's sleep. You can kind of rest on it. Let's all take a moment. Let's focus on some of the positives from this game. And I want to start in perhaps the most obvious place, Kirk Cousins played a really nice game. Not only should we be kind of adjusting his performance for the fact that he didn't really get a lot of help in this one. I thought uh, some of the play designs were were pretty lackluster. I thought that he had a lot of issues with receivers dropping passes from Irv Smith to a lot of the dregs that the Vikings are playing at wide receiver right now. Of course, Adam Thielen was a late scratch. We didn't get to talk about it. Uh, But Alexander Hollins had to be upgraded to the active roster and actually got some run in this one. Laquan Treadwell, of course, had difficulty getting separation. I thought Kyle Rudolph had some difficulty getting separation. However, he had a couple of pretty incredible plays down the stretch that sort of made up for that. But missing Adam Thielen and missing a general generally normal personnel package of skill players and of course missing Dalvin Cook for a large part of the game put Kirk Cousins behind the eight ball and I thought he played admirably under those circumstances it's really difficult to point to any particular moment of this game even the interception that he threw and say that it was his fault the only other place that I would point is perhaps that fourth and three but I find that a difficult argument to make because that play call didn't put Kirk Cousins in a place to succeed. And the reason that this should relax you is that if Kirk Cousins copy-pastes that performance into every game, I bet you the Vikings win 9 out of 10 of them. He played well enough to win, and other things happened that took that win away, but we can find solace in the fact that the $84 million quarterback on a big stage in Monday night where he's supposed to be horrible rose to the occasion and the guys around him will rise to the occasion as well if he continues to do that. And speaking of rising to the occasion, these Vikings found themselves for the third time this season 
down three scores, and they clawed their way back into the game for the third time. Of course, the other two being the Lambo game, they came up short. The Denver game, they did not. This time, they came up short again. But in all of those games, they found a way to get the ball with a chance to take the lead. And what they did with those opportunities is a separate discussion. But this is another example of this team showing the fight that they need to show. And that's not something that's particularly measurable, or if it is, it's not something that I know how to measure. But it's something that I think really matters. You know, when you're down three scores in a big game, I don't think every team approaches that situation in the same way. And the fact that this team fought and clawed their way back in, of course it took a busted coverage, took a little bit of extra help, but they had just as many fluky things go against them. It was kind of a weird game. So seeing them keep their heads up and claw their way back into this one, I think displays the same kind of fortitude that I talked about after the Denver game. Another thing that I should probably update you on that belongs in this relaxing segment is that Dalvin Cook appears to be okay. He left the game in, I want to say, the third quarter with an injury to his shoulder and he fumbled. It was the exact same injury that he sustained in the Broncos game. It is a sprain in his clavicle, according to uh, Pro Football Doc, and a lot of the evidence supports that he is correct this time. And that is an injury that you can play through without skipping too much of a beat. However, it is tender if you get hit there in that specific way. The Seahawks hit him in that specific way, and he dropped the ball and got hurt. Everybody else who left this game, Stefan Diggs, of course, came back. Xavier Rhodes came back. Riley Reef left the game with a concussion. That's something to monitor, but this didn't seem to be as much of an injury disaster as it looked like in the middle of the third quarter. Finally, with regard to the pass defense, which was not good, there were a lot of really bad lapses, uh, including but not limited to the busted coverage that led to a long breakaway Jaron Brown touchdown. But as it's kind of been the entire year, the coverage was better than it looked, and they didn't lose too many of the contested catches that I had highlighted before the game. And so when it comes to achieving the goal that they set out to achieve over the course of the bye week, they did do that. Now, of course, there were other things that happened that now those things need to be fixed, and you're kind of taking two steps forward and one step back. But it's worth highlighting that the thing that had been plaguing the coverage all year seemed to do a lot better, and the production that the Seahawks were able to get didn't come too badly against the cornerbacks, even though I know Xavier Rhodes is in a lot of trouble right now for his 15-yard penalty and losing his cool and then busting the coverage that led to the long touchdown. I think in spite of all of that, he had a better game than he's going to get credit for, and that's probably fair considering how his season has gone, but I think I'm going to stay in his corner for now. So now we've had a moment to address some of the encouraging things that happened in this game. We'll spend the rest of it talking about some of the key moments that led to the loss, but first, let's talk a little bit about Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the very first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Seattle. 
Alice, so you know what we're talking about here, but it works twice as fast because it's a chewable. You don't have to wait around for a pill to digest and kick in. Now, Blue Chew isn't just for like men of a certain age who maybe can't perform the way that they used to in their prime. This is for anybody who's looking to improve themselves for the sake of their partner. And hey, who can say no to that? Blue Chew is made right here in the United States, so it ships directly to your door. That means no awkwardness, no pharmacy, no lines, no waiting, and skipping all those steps, steps saves you a buck too. So head on over to BlueChew.com right now. That's BlueChew.com. And when you check out, enter promo code locked on. They'll let you try it for free. That's no cost to you. So that's BlueChew.com, promo code locked on. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you, 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours, and you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, enough stalling. Let's talk about some of the things that caused this game to go completely awry. From an overall themes standpoint, there's a couple of things that I kind of want to defer to the later episode uh, where I can get into it a little bit more after watching the film and looking at some of the stats and stuff. Of course, the coverage uh, and the defense in general was an issue. The run defense was a huge issue. The Seahawks were able to get a ton of successful plays, especially on first down and set up a bunch of second and third in shorts that were easy for them to convert and made it easy for them to drive all the way down the field. I thought that the interior defensive line was abysmal, and I think that it is really a roster construction issue that's rearing its ugly head, uh, and it hasn't reared its ugly head enough this year for how bad their three-tech problem is. I, I highlighted in the offseason that I didn't think Shamar Stefan was uh, an adequate replacement for Sheldon Richardson. He doesn't get... Uh, penetration or pressure we talked about that after the Dallas game uh, but he was getting washed out a ton in the run game it seemed like Linval Joseph was also on a bit of a pitch count and uh, Armin Watts had some great disruptions I think he had a good run stop and then he of course he had the batted pass that turned into the pick six for Anthony Harris uh, but I also thought he got washed out in the run game plenty as well, and I also don't think Linval Joseph is 100%. They might have the worst defensive tackle group in the league. That's a take that I'm kind of borrowing from Eric Eager, who works for PFF, uh, but I don't think he's that far off. It's really a poor group, and it's a group that shouldn't usually be defining games, and when they are defining games, that kind of says something about how bad that group is. I think it's a really big offense offseason need uh, and, and something that the Seahawks were able to take advantage of. And that's not a great interior. I mean, that's not like a vaunted group. That's not like the Cowboys offensive line beating them up. I kind of got it, uh, especially in pass protection. But 
with the Seahawks, that's not a group you should get your butt kicked by. There was also a theme of the skill players just not really being up to snuff. You had a lot of trouble with separation. You had a lot of trouble uh, with just catching the ball. Of course, Diggs had a couple drops. I think Treadwell, no, he didn't have a drop. He he had a, a play where the ball was tipped and it, it looked like a drop right off the bat, but then immediately it was clear that it wasn't, so I keep thinking of that as a drop, but it wasn't. You had a couple of drops from BC Johnson. There were a lot of issues. I think there was a drop from uh, Dalvin Cook. Maybe it was CJ Ham, one of the backs. A lot of skill player issues. I, I think Kirk Cousins was under a pretty normal amount of pressure, which is good. I, I think the Seahawks pass rush is a little bit underrated with Clowney and Jaron Reed and all those guys who actually ended up playing in this one. Not to mention, I mean, you know, you had like a pretty good, like Puna Ford and those guys against the interior. I was worried about that. I thought that they rose to the occasion okay. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't like a pristine game. There was some pressure for Kirk Cousins to deal with, but by and large, I thought he could kind of sit back, survey the field, and there just was like very often nowhere to go. But I think the real, like, and this is going to be a really boring answer because it's not something that you can really fix outside of just kind of telling your players, like, don't do that anymore. But really, I mean, there was just a meltdown in the third quarter that the, that was too great for the Vikings to overcome. You had a fumble, and then they got a field goal off of that, and then you get the ball back, you have an interception, they get a touchdown off of that immediately. Suddenly, they, you know, and they had a drive right before that. Suddenly, they've rattled off 17 un- unanswered points. It's 27 to 17. And suddenly you're wondering what in the world happened and how did we get here? Not to mention the fake punt they gave up, although that didn't end up turning into points because that drive ended up in a fumble going the other way. Uh, you had, of course, the missed extra point. That kind of changed the the dynamic of the game down the stretch. And then the final fumble by C.J. Ham that ended up robbing Kirk Cousins of what would have been a long shot opportunity to go tie the game. But I mean, come on, we've seen stranger things happen. The Vikings had actually been incredible at avoiding turnovers up to this game. And it seemed like all those chickens just came home to roost at once. You know, they seemed like they were playing above their mean in that regard. And regression is a fickle mistress. And I'll address a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, in the coming days here when I can look at it a little bit more closely. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the key moments in this one that I can break down in a little bit more intelligently so that I can at least provide here, you know, just moments after the game closed out, I can provide some analysis that's actually useful to you. And I want to start actually with that very last uh, play, at least in meaningful time, the last offensive play was the fourth and three, the turnover on downs. And this was a play call I had a huge problem with. So usually with these, and this year, I mean, if you haven't been listening to this show, know that I've been really hard on Kirk Cousins on these ones, and I'll be the first to come to his defense here. He had nowhere to go. There was absolutely no good throw here. He'd either throw it behind the line of scrimmage, and I probably would have bit his head off for that. He could have tried to scramble. I don't think that was there. Or he could have tried one of those quick outs to the tight ends. But essentially, this play call was two quick outs from the slots with both tight ends lined up in either slot. And this was a mirrored play call, which means, I mean, you had the same route combination on either side. That's a pretty common thing that teams do. But the only real available routes were the two quick outs. And in a short yardage passing situation, like a fourth and three, that's also a pretty common thing. You know, like call a slant. And if he wins, he wins. If he doesn't, he doesn't in the game. It just depends on if he wins by the slant. But the problem I have here is that you had the two outside receivers running fades. I believe those two guys were BC Johnson and Stefan Diggs. And, and you had 
Diggs running a fade on fourth and three is not what you want Diggs to be doing. I love his contested catch ability, but that's basically like a jump ball play, and then you have to get the quarterback to throw it, which he probably isn't going to want to do. And now that I say it out loud, that probably was a better throw than the one he made to Irv Smith, but that's splitting hairs, and I think that Kirk Cousins on that play might be the last guy that I blame, and honestly, for this whole game. That said, that's a pretty low percentage call. It's something that you would maybe try to do on like second and 10 when you need a lot of yards, if I were Stefanski, with the game on the line, I want Diggs trying to win off the release and, and get him running a slant, get him running a stick route, get him running a curl, get him running something where he can beat the receiver on the route and not have to win on the catch point and not have to coerce the quarterback into throwing to him when he'll probably be covered. I mean, when you run a fade, you're not really trying to get separation. You're trying to win a, a jump ball. So you're not going to look open and it's difficult for the quarterback to throw to you unless that's like a predetermined read like it is often on the goal line. And even then, it's not a very good play. Like from an analytics perspective, the fade route might be the least successful route in everyone's playbook. So I really, really hate that he put Diggs on a fade on that route. But I also hate that like if you're going to have it be, you know, quick outs from the slot, I actually don't hate quick outs from the slot on fourth and three. I, I think that that's a reasonable thing to call. But why are you having the tight ends run that? Especially uh, Kyle Rudolph, who might be uh, like the second worst route runner on your roster next to Laquan Treadwell. He had had a ton of trouble getting separation this year. And just so that you know, I'm not being like a total hater here, Kyle Rudolph made an unbelievable grab for that touchdown uh, that ended up bringing the game within four points at a, at a certain time. And he made another really good grab earlier in that drive to bring the Vikings, I believe he got the Vikings across midfield on that one. So, so Rudolph had kind of exploded in this game. And so I, I think that getting him the ball in, in a contested catch situation may have been good good, but like, man, have him run that fade if you're going to have somebody run a jump ball and then have Diggs run the out, because Kyle Rudolph wasn't getting separation all night. He wasn't getting open. He was winning after that, and on the touchdown, I think the play call actually gave him some room to work, and he's really good at finding holes in zones, but the Seahawks just covered, like, called, like, single high man coverage and just won all across the field, and I think it's because the play call didn't give the wide receivers enough room to actually go win that play, and this is also kind of reminiscent of a roster construction issue in that the Vikings have no wide receiver depth. Of course, Adam Thielen, with his hamstring, he was a late scratch in this one. They thought he was going to go. It seemed optimistic that he was going to go. Then on Saturday, he said, nope, I'm not feeling it. It's not ready to go. So they shut him down. They promoted Alexander Hollins, who, by the way, has an awesome story. Go search Hollins uh, in the Locked on Vikings page. Go find his uh, 90-man series from the offseason because his story is awesome and is really cool that he got into this game from like a story perspective. Of course, only got a few snaps, didn't have much of an impact. But the fact that you had to like have him on the field, you had to have Treadwell on the field all the time, and you don't have an NFL quality like wide receiver four, you only have three guys that belong on an NFL roster on your team right now. That's a really big issue, and it's something that they'll have to address in the offseason. So I think that contributes to it. Uh, you know, not having wide receivers to run those routes is one thing, but you'd still had digs and you should have had digs running the route where the route running mattered instead of Kyle Rudolph, who was basically blanketed by every linebacker on the Seahawks all night. Really hate that play call. I also want to just point out the issue of that that first drive out of the half for the defense. And let's talk a little bit about some of the defensive stuff here because the Vikings actually had the Seahawks pinned in like a second and 12 
in kind of no man's land, difficult territory. And when you're playing a team like the Seahawks and a coach like Pete Carroll, who is pretty conservative when it comes to fourth down decision making, that gives you a little bit more leeway as a defense. And that's why it's bad decision making, because as a defense, you can stop them inches short on fourth down and that ends the drive instead of, you know, it being close enough to bring up a new play like it is with most coaches. So it kind of does put the Seahawks at a disadvantage, that conservative play calling. That's why I'm not a fan of it, but I'll take it when it's the opponent, right? And when you have them in a second and 12, sometimes you can actually entice them to do really, really dumb things like do a run on second and 12 because they think they'll get enough of it, enough of it. And if you can stop it for two, you've set up a third and 10. That's a pretty favorable situation. Being in second and 12 is great. And Carson, Chris Carson had taken a run. He was bounced outside. He had to take it out of bounds for a loss. And then Xavier Rhodes slammed him down way, way late. I saw some people complaining on Twitter about that call. It was the easiest flag you could ever throw. He was too steps out of bounds, threw him down way late, lots of extracurricular activity, 15 yards, and suddenly they're in the red zone with a first down. And you just can't do that against a team like the Seahawks. The Vikings already kind of needed a little bit of help to win this game, right? I don't think they were the better team in this game, and that's not really a knock on the Vikings. The Seahawks are very good, and it's difficult to go into their house and win. And when you're in that kind of difficult road environment, of course, you know, prime time, Monday Night Football, all that stuff, you, you can't give them free 15 and a first down, getting them out of a really unfavorable down and distance that is made more unfavorable by who they are as a team, and you're just bailing them out of that. That is an absolutely boneheaded penalty, not to mention the miscommunication that happened on that J. Ron Brown touchdown. Let's talk a little bit about that. Here's what I think. Uh, Harrison Smith took a flat route, and Xavier Rhodes was supposed to carry the uh to to carry that that seam route all the way down the field and if he had I think he would have been able to cover it he was passing it off thinking there would be a safety there I think he he thought that the coverage was going to roll to his side which doesn't make a lot of sense so the Seahawks came out in 11 personnel so that's three wide receivers and two wide receivers were on the right side of the field which means that if you're the safety and you're the single you're you know Anthony Harris single high you're going to kind of roll over to go help with that side because there's more players there's more crap to deal with Xavier Rhodes just has the one guy and he needs to man up on that guy be on the island and win but he passed it off thinking there would be a safety back there and you could see from his body language afterwards he was like hey where were you guys you know what was going on a bunch of people came up to him after the play said hey no 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 you got that wrong he didn't want to hear it and that's where you get that shot that ESPN caught of him slamming his helmet down on the sideline he was really really mad that he got that wrong or maybe he was mad about being told that he got that wrong uh I, I, I decline comment but I think that was probably his worst mistake of the night. And again, it was a mental one. Xavier Rhodes is so deep inside his own head. Now he's like on full tilt. And it's so frustrating because this is fixable. I've been saying all year that you can fix it. I thought they would be able to fix it over the bye. They couldn't do it. He is so deep inside his own head. He's thinking so hard right now. Part of playing cornerback is being instinctual, being a playmaker, going up and, and making the play you know to make. And, and, you know, practicing and relying on your muscle memory, I think Xavier Rhodes is thinking right now. I mean, he had, he lost a couple of routes to DK Metcalf, of all people, who who has decent route running technique, but obviously agility issues. You, you can't give up that much separation to the guy. So I, I think Xavier Rhodes, I mean, I'm, I'm staying in his corner. I am not ready to bench him or any of that stuff right now that people are calling for. I'm staying in his corner. I've been caping for him all year, and I stand by that. But you got to get him out of his own head. You have to get him to relax and play that instinctual, confident play that you need from a quarter, a cornerback. 
He's just thinking too hard right now, and when he thinks too hard, you make thinking mistakes. And I think that that's the way that I need to kind of describe Xavier Rhodes' struggles, is that he is not making cornerback mistakes. He's making thinking mistakes. Not physical mistakes, but thinking mistakes. And while that's easier to fix, in theory, right, because you just have to stop thinking the wrong thing, that is something that is, I guess, more difficult to address and, and something that puts you in a weird situation. You can't just get rid of the guy. Another cornerback's going to come in and have ability deficiencies. I think that there's a, a good kind of uh, contrast that can be drawn here between Xavier Rhodes, who is making thinking mistakes, and somebody like Shamar Stefan, who just has a dearth of talent, who just isn't talented enough to play the position at a starting quality level. And we've kind of known that for years. A lot of people want to bench roads, cut roads. I want to fix roads. I, I, I think that that's the best option here, right? Just fix the man. And I think you can fix him. He still has all the talent and ability you need to play cornerback in the NFL at a high level. You just have to fix his head. And he's so deep inside his own head. This is a guy that is so tight and close with Mike Zimmer. You would think Mike Zimmer would be able to do this. And I think that's the most daunting task ahead of him here headed into the final quarter of the season. On a, a little bit more of a closing note here, this was a weird game, right? This this game was bonkers. You had the, this tipped pinball of, of a pick six. You had another tipped interception. You had Diggs dropping balls. You had Dalvin Cook getting hit in the exact spot in the shoulder that causes him to both uh, get hurt and, and sat for the rest of the game and, and fumble. Of all things, you had a primetime Monday night wild, wacky game, and none of it was Kirk Cousins' fault, which is something that I don't think... If you told me that this game was going to be wild and wacky, he'd say, okay, cool, what did Kirk Cousins screw up? But he didn't screw up that much. You had a pretty ambiguous fumble call on DK Metcalf that uh, ended up going in the Vikings' favor. I thought that one was a super 50-50 call. You had both teams busting coverages. Uh, of course, let's talk about that a little bit, right? You had a free Laquan Dreadwell touchdown, which is absolutely insane. Kind of a cool moment for him after getting cut in the preseason to come back and actually get a long 58-yard breakaway touchdown here. Uh, that's I'm, I'm happy for him for that one. But it was a really weird game, and there was a lot of fluky stuff here, and if you overturn one or two of them you could turn this into a win you could turn it into a three score loss depending on what point you're trying to make uh overall i think the vikings went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the seahawks in the ways that are sustainable i think they lost out in the run game i think that they moved the ball on the seahawks well when asked to i think the the times when the seahawks actually did get uh good pass game production it was in unsustainable ways like coverage busts and stuff you know you're only good for like one of those a game maybe so they're a little bit less of a concern they're also an easier fix you go to the sideline you say yeah yeah yeah, no this is what we mixed up and then that kind of thing doesn't happen again at least on that particular coverage or whatever and we saw harrison smith and xavier rhodes have that conversation i did think uh, harrison smith speaking of him had a, a pretty rough game i thought he had a really poor sense for spacing and part of that might be that his hamstring wasn't ready uh, he he played through this game hurt but i think he was just kind of off and and didn't space himself very well it led to a lot of really bad tactics tackle angles and a lot of missed tackles. I thought he had a really poor game in this one and a lot of the run success had to do with that. And a lot of big games, you kind of saw him diving at the ankles of the guy banking the play. But here's the overall thing. The Vikings played the Seahawks well, and I think they played at a level you would expect a kind of wild card, scrappy, maybe they can get hot at the right time and get a chance kind of team. If you pit a, an ambiguously unnamed 
get hot at the right time wild card type team against these Seahawks, I would expect the game to be about a loss by a touchdown. And I think the Vikings lived up to that expectation. And I think that's who they are this year. That's probably not good enough for a lot of people considering that this has been a regime that's in. This is their sixth year. And, you know, they got like their big free agent quarterback and all that. And you want them to be a Super Bowl contender and all that. But I, I think that that's all splitting hairs right now that they're a playoff team with a chance to beat anybody. And I think you saw that today. They can go in to any stadium and make it a game. And now considering this loss and considering what it means for their prospects for the division, that's probably what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to go into someone else's stadium and make it a game. I think they're absolutely capable of that, even though they came up short this time. Because next time they have to go somewhere and make it a game against a really good team, it's going to matter a lot more than this one. And I think that they're able to go make that a game, give themselves a shot to actually go steal a playoff game here or two. And that's all you can really ask, right? Let's go into January, be road warriors, and make a run. So on that note, let's leave this episode of Locked on Vikings. Uh, programming note, tomorrow is Wednesday, which means it actually will be Crossover Wednesday. I'll be speaking with uh, Matt Derry of Locked on Lions, and we'll jump right into previewing the Lions game, and then we're going to actually shift back to the Seahawks game for Thursday. I'll do the in-depth review that would usually be the Tuesday episode. Of course, this week is so weird because it's Monday Night Football. And then on Friday, I will update you with a... Uh, a, a Detroit Lions preview and we'll talk a little bit more about how they've changed since the last time the Vikings have played them and what the Vikings can do to win that game. So you'll still get, you know, this recap, an in-depth recap, a crossover Wednesday and an in-depth preview like you usually do all week. It'll just be a little bit out of order because of the Monday night week. Uh, but hopefully you can, uh, you can keep up with all the whiplash. So in the meantime, you can always find me at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast, so you can simply ask your smart device, play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow with Crossover Wednesday, and as always, Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.